So the lecture you're about to hear is from Psychology and Biology 3506, Neuropharmacology from Algoma University. I, I'm the instructor, Dave Broadbeck, uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck. So um, I hope you like it. Uh, I hope you get something out of it. Fr frankly, I only hope you get something out of it if you're one of my students. If you're not, that's great. And I'm glad you're listening in on a university class you're not taking. Fine. Um, but yeah. Uh, so without further ado, let's listen to a little intro of a song and then a lecture. Okay, let us begin. So we talk about, you know, I introduced some of the topics today, some key terms, things like that. And we have to start, and most of you have taken, <coughs> uh, you all should have taken 2600, if you took it with me, you've seen some of these slides. What's a drug? Now, the thing is, we all know what it means, which is literally not good. Um, if we don't know, just because we have a common idea, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we all think it's the same. Right? Like, we all go, I know what it means, you know what it means, but maybe we don't, we have to sit down and, and figure this out. So that's not going to work. We need some kind of definition, and what you see a lot is that it alters physiology, but it's not food. Okay? So, vitamins are vitamins drugs. I think most of us would say no. Most of us, I think, intuitively. Don't, don't worry about the official definition. Who here would call a vitamin drug? It's okay if you think that. I'm just kidding. No, okay. Good. I, I thought you'd think we would. You think air is a drug? Water? So, those things also alter all the physiology of our food. So, I don't like that definition. Right? Some things are also poisons. So, things that we think of as drugs, and, well, really, frankly, any, almost any substance in enough of a concentration can be a poison. So, if we think of things like whatever, gasoline, gasoline can be a thing to make, make car go. <laughs> But it's also something you can sniff and get high. It's also something you can kill yourself. Same thing with mugwort. Mugwort's a, 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 a herb, a medicinal thing, you know? In fact, it's the way that, uh, it's one of the uh, ways that people used to, uh, in the olden times, and they'll probably start doing this in the States again, give themselves abortions. So, um, it'll actually be a movie. But it can give you hallucinations and stuff. So it can be a good time. But it can be so much of a good time that you die. So uh gotta be careful with that. So uh, I guess maybe we don't need a definition. I mean that really bugs me. Right? It should bug all of you. We're supposed to be scientists. We're supposed to understand things like the world works. And when I can't even define a freaking term? So, I don't know. Still, there's also things that clearly are drugs. And when I say Coke here, I don't mean cocaine. I mean Coca-Cola. Uh, these things are drugs. But what if your intention is not to get high or get some kind of buzz from them? So... Coke. Coke's a great example. How many times, when you go to McDonald's and you go to the drive-thru, and they say, what would you like to drink with that? 
And he goes, excuse me, don't mind laughing at me, guys. And you just get to say it four or five times. And then they finally give it to you. You also get it all in one order. But anyway, um, you ever think yourself better get a Coke? Because I don't want to get caffeine. You know, you want a Coke. You just want a Coke. I had a Coke last night. Because I wanted a Coke. It wasn't like, yeah, I really want some caffeine. But I did take caffeine. I did drink caffeine-free Coke, but besides. Or a coffee. People, coffee is the number one uh, drug delivery system used in the Western world is a cup of freaking coffee. 180 million North Americans are dependent on caffeine. Don't be afraid, there's nothing to be worried about. When I say North Americans, I'm, I'm like Canada and the States, I'm not including Mexico because they're the most famous. So, Anglosphere North Americans, we'll say. Um, it's a lot of people. Actually, I bet a lot of you here are dependent on caffeine. Anybody here wake up with a little bit of a, bit of a headache and feel a little bit shitty? Then you have a, a couple of sips of coffee, you feel better? Because I don't like that. I'm not afraid to admit that. Yeah, there you go. There's a couple of you. Thank you. At least you admit it. The rest of you, yeah, there you go. Thank you, John. Rest of you, I know with you. The rest of you people are cowards. Um, yeah, but what if I said, let's go get a cup of coffee? And I don't mean because I'm like, oh, God, I need a cup of coffee. You know, you've had that to study, and you're like, coffee on it. Maybe do some speed, probably some Red Bull. So I'm going to be up all night. Uh, most of the time when I want a cup of coffee, unless it's the one in the morning that's like, that makes me feel like a human again, uh, it's because I want a cup of coffee. When I said, let's go for a cup of coffee, I don't mean let's go ingest drugs. That's not what I'm trying to say. If I said that, I would say, let's go get hot. I might say, let's go get wasted. I'm not going to say, let's go drink so much coffee that we get um, um, caffeinism, which is you need to take drink like 10 cups of coffee in about five minutes. Don't do that. It's incredibly unpleasant because I've done very, I made a lot of bad decisions in graduate school. Um, even a beer. Even a beer. Because I've heard it's possible to have one drink of alcohol. I, I've never tested the theory. But what I understand, because I, I go with the idea that beer doesn't keep. It might go bad. I'm kidding, obviously. What I'm saying is I'm a high-functioning alcoholic. But <laughs> the time when I guess you could probably say it was, though. Uh, but a lot of times, if you have a beer, you want a beer. It's just talking to somebody. So in that case, even, I don't even know if they're caffeine, caffeine, and even alcohol. I don't, I don't think I feel comfortable calling those drug taking. Do you? <coughs> or am I just being silly? I think you are. <laughs> I know what you think. But, no, like after you mow the lawn and you just suck back an entire, it doesn't matter what kind of beer it is, you don't go, oh, I really need a hopping IPA. <laughs> you go, hey, look, Labatt's blue. <laughs> oh, I feel great. You don't do that to get hammered. Why do you do that? You do that because it's cold and it tastes good. I don't think of that as a drug experience. So, do people think differently on that? I mean, that's how I feel on that anyway. So, even in that case, the intuitive definition I guess is gonna have to do, but I don't like it. I don't like things literally. I don't like facing anything with intuition. It just makes me feel like I'm cheating or something. So, anyway, that's fine. What are we gonna do? Well, let's figure out how we're gonna name drugs. 
Here's a drug. Let's here the name of this drug is 7-chloro-1,3-dihydro-1-methyl-5-phenol-2H14-benzodiazepine-2-1, which is clearly very helpful for all of us who have master's degrees in organic chemistry. <coughs> which I don't think anybody in the room including me has. So uh, this isn't going to be very helpful. But that actually is the name of a drug. Now we can have a generic name of that drug, and that's diazepam. That's what that is. Okay. That's the same thing. Diazepam is that drug. <coughs> Nobody calls it the thing at the top, including pharmacists. They call it diazepam. Okay. Oh, it looks like that. Just to be clear, if that's helpful in any way. That's what the molecule looks like. So I know now you're like, oh, well, now I know that that's actually value. So another drug, by the way, that I listed there is fluoxetine, and it's a, I just listed it because it's a well-known drug, and you know about its trade name, Prozac. The trade name for diazepam is value. Trade names have capital letters. They're, they're proper names. Turns out, in fact, even heroin is a trade name. Heroin should always be spelled with a capital H. Heroin was developed by the Bayer Company. Bayer developed aspirin. Right? Aspirin is a salicylic, is a sealed salicylic acid. And because a salicylic acid is a pain reliever, it's also an acid, it's corrosive. And what Bayer did is he said, but if I throw an acetyl group on me, and he did, and it still worked. So he said, what if I took morphine and put an extra acetyl group on? And he did, and he invented heroin. And he, you know what he called the heroin? He said, because it works 10 times better than morphine, which is true, it's like a hero. It's also, you know, heroin. But there's nothing magical about heroin. It's basically just morphine. It's really efficient morphine. Um, don't demonize drugs because of things you've heard on TV. Or seen on TV. Or heard on the radio. Or heard on TV and seen on the radio. I don't know. What is the... I guess, like, heroin would be the... Trade name. Trade name? The generic name would be diacetylmorphine. Thank you. Yeah. So, we're going to talk about a few things. Like I said, today it's all about general terms you can use to accomplish. So let's talk about dosages. I don't know why that thing looks like that. I'll carry there. Different dosage sizes have different effects on different people. Or different animals. So, you know, um, I'm a big boy and an experienced alcohol user. Uh, I could I could drink most of the women in this room. I didn't say guys. There are sex differences. Most of the women I could, especially because women are smaller than men on average. I'm not huge, but I'm tiny. Right? So. I'm sure I could drink, but it's probably the case that I'm not getting as much because I'm bigger. Right? There's all kinds of differences. What we're going to have to do is standardize these, the differences we have. Whoa! Oh boy, am I ever in a great deal of pain. <laughs> yeah, well, laugh all you want, but this really hurts. You'll be okay. Yeah, I'll be fine. Give me... Oh, Jesus. Okay. Especially if they weigh different amounts or walk into shit. <laughs> oh, that really hurts. 
So we'd have to standardize it somehow. I'm actually a brick dealer. Okay. It'll go away. Yeah. Anybody have any morphine though? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> okay. So what we do is we standardize it in uh, milligrams per kilogram. So if I was to compare my dose of alcohol with, uh, with yours, it would be we would take our weights, yeah, we could grams, take milligrams of alcohol, and then we could say we had the same amount because I'm quite a bigger than you. So when I have a drink, it is less of an amount. So usually you'll see dosages listed in milligrams per kilogram. <coughs> So what you get then is you can take some variable for a response. Remember, we're talking about drugs, and we're talking about behavior. So we're going to look at some behavioral response. And we'll put that, and then we'll plot the response as a function of the dose of the drug given. So here's an example. If I have one drink, I'm kind of relaxed, like just one, one cocktail. It's nice, it's pleasant, I'm happy. If I have four drinks, I'm a little tipsy, a little drunk, nothing bad. I wouldn't hop on my bike. I wouldn't go mow the lawn, sharp objects. I wouldn't deep fry anything. I'd throw a frozen pizza in the oven. Is there anything better than a drunk frozen pizza? Answer, no. <clears throat> but four drinks, I'm kind of tipsy. And once I hit eight, I'm kind of relaxed again. And by relaxed, I mean I'm out. Now, what's our behavior, what's our response here? What's our behavior? I don't know, I mean, it could be subjective feeling. I don't like subjective stuff as variables, because like, we could use something though. What would you, I don't know. We use like response, like, um, reaction time or something. I don't know. Get a question, Joe? Oh yes. So um, when you do when you uh, do five or uh, four drinks, yeah. you uh, pass out. You're, well, you I don't. get drunk. I don't. <laughs> a lot of people do though. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So what I'm saying is that what I'm saying rather is that <coughs> one has one a small effect and then four or five or whatever something in the middle has an effect and then a whole bunch has doesn't have any effect anymore because you're past that and in fact that's a very common thing in dose response curves oh sorry yes sorry. are we looking at is this like a bell curve like a normal bell yeah, curve? yes it's, it's not it's not usually something that's quite a bell curve okay. but it will be an upside down you or okay. depending on what you're depending on what you're measuring, probably more like a parabola typically. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It does, I don't think you'd usually model it with a normal curve. Probably not. Probably more parabola. Yeah. So that shape is pretty common, <coughs> and there's the shape. So what we have on the left, and we'll concentrate on this one on the left here, is we have actually if I just do that, there we go. So. Let's look at the left-hand one here, okay? So what that has on it is it's the effect of morphine and morphine plus naloxone, we're going to what these are in a second, on activity, and that's on the left, and those focus on the right. How do you measure activity of a rat? It's not, think, that's difficult. Well, any ideas? How would you measure activity in a rat? Just general activity, any thoughts? 
I mean, I, I would say there's no wrong answers, but there's tons of them. Yeah. But what are you measuring? Uh, You've got to measure activities. How are we going to measure it? Put it in the maze. Okay. And what are we measuring in the maze? This isn't bad. Um, how quickly it figures out the maze. Okay, that could be a cognitive effect, though, right? Because maybe, maybe, maybe they can get drunk and they can't solve the maze. Right? So you were on, you were close, though. You were close. Other thoughts? Yeah, back here. Movement. Very nice. How are we going to measure movement? You're right. Watching it run around in little circles. And how are we going to measure it? Mm -hmm. How? By looking at it? Yeah. What? we got to count something. <laughs> You're right. How hard distance? Distance, distance is a possibility. <clears throat> but movement around, what are you saying? So you're you're saying that you um, run around the, the area. The, yeah, the radius, exactly. It's put on, a, on a, what's called an open field. Yeah. And an open field is actually just a piece of plywood. Uh, so you take a 4 by 8 sheet of plywood, and you draw a grid on it. And you count how many times the rat crosses a line. Well, that's what you used to do. You know what you do now? You get a piece of plywood, and you get about 30 photo beams, and you count how many times it crosses the photo beams. It used to be you got a bunch of, you would find some poor undergraduate student who wanted to work in your lab, and they'd be free, and now we get photo beams. So, but you can measure activity. So we see, and let's just look at these left hand, don't look at these right hand bars, just the left hand bars on this left hand graph. You see that we get exactly the same thing. The more morphine, the more activity, and that drops off. Why, wait, wait a second, morphine, isn't morphine, I mean, we haven't talked about any of these drugs yet, but no one thinks that morphine is a stimulant. It's not. It's one of those drugs you can overdose easily on because you'll stop breathing. It's a depressant. Why would they get more excited and run around more if they've got more of a depressant in them? Any thoughts? Lowers inhibition. That's right. That's right. Lowers inhibition. So it's, or we, we call that actually a taming effect. What happens is, typically rats don't like to run around in the wild. You know why? Because they get eaten. If you got a rat and he's just running around on the ground, and I, I don't know, a hawk, they look dinner. But the inhibition is inhibited. This inhibition. Now, when you get to the very end, what happens here is, here he's basically strung out on morphine. He's like, you know, you ever watch The Sopranos? He's like, whatever Christopher takes too much heroin. He's like this. Right. So what's happened here is not behaving at all. Now here on the left-hand graph, right-hand graph, I'm sorry, we're measuring nose poke. Now I'm not going to ask you how you would measure nose poke because it's obviously in the name. It's the animal poking its nose and it's into a little hole. You know what rats like to do? They like to stick their noses in holes. It's just something rats do. So put a little hole in the side of a box and put a photo beam in and see how many times they break the photo beam. So that's what the behavior is there. And if you look here, and then you're looking at the right-hand ones here, you can see that if we take, give them morphine and naloxone, the morphine doesn't have any effect anymore. Because morphine or naloxone is an opiate antagonist. It stops opiates from working. 
This is why you can get those naloxone kits, right? It's a, uh, there's different kinds. There's ones that are nasal spray. There are ones that are heavy pen like uh, in case you see somebody who's OD. And you just give them the stuff. I think it's typically, my wife had the training a while ago, and um, we have one of the kits at home. Um, and it's, it's uh, nasal. So it, it blocks, and it blocks the receptor for morphine without opening the ion channel. We'll get there, but I'll know what that means. Um, sir. Please. Well, so those kits, because I was going to pick one up one time, but my son did, like, his first responder, he said, they, they get very violent. They, so if something, yes. So you be careful. He said, Mom, I'd rather you didn't. Yeah. Like, don't help. That's why you're training. I had to do it. Yeah. My wife had it because she, because. Yeah. Well, just didn't carry one yet. Yeah, she has it at her place of business. No, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just in case she sees something. Yeah. So she just thought it was a sensible thing to do. But yeah, you're right. It was your son you said? Yeah. Yeah, because she was told that. You give the stuff and you get the hell out of Dodge. Like it's like, because yeah. they aren't going to like that. Because you're stopping them from being high. It works very quickly. You're saving somebody's life, and they're like, you're killing my boss! <laughs> and when someone has devoted their life to heroin, they're not like you and I. Eh? You've got to understand that. They're, they're, they, they are like you and I, that they're humans, they deserve respect and dignity and all those things, but they, they don't think like us. They think like this, I've got to get more heroin. That's all they think about. That's all they want. Right? So people do get very violent often. Uh, they get angry. Um, yeah, yeah. So you're you basically, I think the kid she has has one dose. It's like you got one and then you're done. It's one and done. Uh, yeah, so it's like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. I should, uh, thank you for bringing that up because I should have brought that up. I, I, it's funny because she showed me the kit and she said, You also said, I said, Oh, that's interesting. I was going to bring it up and then I forgot. Thank you. Awesome. So yeah, it's it's serious stuff. But naloxone works. Like The amazing thing is it works. Because we know exactly how these, we, you know what's weird? Illegal drugs, we get illegal drugs. We know how all the illegal drugs work. And you'll all understand how they work too. They're simple. You know what the complicated drugs are? Alcohol, nicotine, caffeine, cannabinoids. Those are the complicated ones. You know the ones that, we're, that are completely legal? But the ones that are illegal, don't touch those. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I don't think it means anything. I just find it to be an interesting phenomenon. So if we're going to describe a drug, we have to describe how effective the drug is. Is it any good at what it purports to do? Right? So we have two different quantities, the ED50 and the LD50 for any drug. So the ED50 is the effective dose for 50% of the population, and that is going to be completely subjective, right? Because let's say it's uh, for, well, let's just say it's for something pleasant. So do you feel, does it make you feel good? So we could go with, Let's, let's not even use a, a drug that's a drug of potential abuse. So let's just say we use just straight up CBD. And you can describe a calming effect. And those of you that like taking CBD now and then know that it really is just a calming drug. It doesn't impair you in any way. And it's just, it's pleasant. And if you're anxious, it's like, uh, I couldn't sleep two nights ago. I took 50 milligrams of CBD. I couldn't sleep still, but I didn't, it didn't bother me. I was lying in bed going, this should really be pissing me off. 
but it's not. What a cool drug effect. Um, but that's subjective. So I have to rely on you telling me, oh, I, I feel good. I feel good. Or if you're doing it for fun, right? So let's say you're doing, on the other hand, you're doing THC. So you know, hydrocannabinol, but the, the, the fun stuff in, in, in cannabis. And if you're doing that, and my, my brother doesn't sleep very well, and he takes so much THC that it makes him go to sleep. He describes it as he, it's, it's the Tommy Chong method of sleep. Uh, mostly, it's one of you got that, I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, but yeah, uh, he uh, he describes it like this. Oh man, it's not working. It's not working. Oh, there it is. And that's what usually happens, right? So you describe it to yourself. Oh, somebody's at the door. Okay, thank you. Yeah. You should give up candy. Be like Halloween. Right? You see anybody? <laughs> Treat. <Tree. laughs> so. Sorry about that. No, it's not your fault. I didn't want to hear you. You just get really hard bones. Um, I don't. I guess most people. But that's still subjective. What about, oh, we need something else. What about pain? I just hurt my leg, but I'm going to get a bruise. Oh, shit. Uh, so when we talk about pain killing, that's subjective? Yeah, sure. When does this hurt? When does it not hurt? Like, did it take care of your headache or something? OK. But these are always going to be subjective. In any psychoactive drug, it's going to be subjective. Going to be subjective. Now, the lethal dose, the LD50, is not subjective. That's the dose that kills 50% of people. That would not be subjective. The ultimate dependent variable, death. The oil process described it that way. Describe death as the ultimate dependent variable. You know, you think too much about stuff like that when you describe things as independent or dependent variable. So what we can do then is take the therapeutic index of any drug. We can take the LD50 divided by the ED50, and the higher that number is, the safer the drug is. So I can give you a couple. The therapeutic index for alcohol is about four. What? Yeah. Alcohol's really, really, really dangerous. I love it, but it's really dangerous. So when I say four, you think, wait, I've had four times as much one. No, 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 no. I mean, okay, let's say if it takes you three drinks in half an hour to get drunk. <coughs> That's but three drinks of alcohol in a half an hour. Like three shots would probably make most people tipsy. But if it's enough to make you drunk, that's an effective dose. So if you had 12 shots in 30 minutes, oh, now, it's, now you get it, eh? that, that can kill you. That can kill you. One of the reasons that people die from combining alcohol and energy <coughs> drinks is because they don't pass out, so they keep drinking. One of the great behavioral things that we have telling us we're drunk is, oh, I'm getting a little tired. And when I suddenly have, oh, I'm not tired, I'm a wide awake drunk, give me more. Yeah, you're not. Now, what people do, is it wasn't subjective, would that change the tolerance? Oh yeah, all these things are gonna change the tolerance. Um, so and here's another one. Uh, heroin's about five and a half, so it's not that much more dangerous than alcohol. And LSD is basically infinite. You can't overdose on LSD. You can take so much acid that you better have nothing to do for the next few weeks. <laughs> or you might do something stupid. See, that's the thing about acid. You don't take so much that it kills you. You just take so much that you think, you know, if I climbed that building and jumped off, that, I could probably fly. That's, not, that's a drug effect, but that's not an overdose. Right? Uh, you can't take too much. 
THC. You could get, it's unpleasant, but you can't kill yourself. Uh, caffeine is about 80. It's almost impossible to overdose of caffeine. You can, but it takes like effort. When I say 80, what's that mean? So that's for the, the effect takes one cup of coffee, that's about 100 milligrams. So that means you have to drink 80 cups of coffee at once. So you don't do it with coffee yesterday. So um, with a lethal dose, do yeah. you drink many? Do you get three mini drinks in half an hour? No, well that, so three, if three in half an hour made you drunk, then that means that, because I, I said it was about four and a half, right? Yeah. Or four. So that would mean 12 drinks, because four times three is 12, in half an hour would kill you. Yeah. Yeah. But most people don't drink 12 drinks in half an hour. That, that's, most people would, get, would be puking before that. Yes? Um, so if four is like a dangerous number, then what's considered like a safe TI? What number would you consider to say? It's really hard to say. I mean, the problem with recreational drugs is because they're not being administered by experts, is yourself administering. Like, fentanyl's dangerous. You know what's not dangerous? When physicians give it as a painkiller. Then it's fine because it's not being taken by some dude. Or the dude is an MD and he's, or she's administering it. Like, it's, a, it's actually a really good painkiller. It's just that it's also the tremendously other stuff. So it's really hard to say. I mean, if you're compared to drugs, you always want to take it. They do the same thing, you always want to take the same one, but you can't. If they're equally also potent, which we'll talk about in a sec. But it's really hard, like, I mean, if you, but think about something like com compare alcohol with THC. That's, that's, to me, that's the big comparison because they're both legally available drugs. It's basically, THC's almost got an infinite therapeutic like, I'm not saying you should take, like, smoke 12 joints. That's a bad idea. But you'll probably, by the time you've had about two, go, I don't know where I am and I can't feel my face anymore. So I think I'll stop. Like, it's hard to take that much. Oil, you could probably do it. You know? Um, or gummies or something like that. But it would be difficult. But if you were smoking at all or even vaping, I don't think it would be. As I've often said, it's so, you, you couldn't really hit it because you couldn't find your weed. Like, <laughs> I don't know where I even am. So it, it's practically impossible. Um, the thing about alcohol is that it's easy to do. And heroin, it's easy to do. Right? The reason binge drinking is such a problem in, 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 in orientation in universities or used to be because of you know, all the alcohol. I can tell you that when I did Frosh in 1984, older than all you people, in 1984, every event was about alcohol. All of them. And I mean serious amounts of alcohol. Beer was like a 50 cents a piece. Like they were just getting us drunk. That's all we did for seven days, we got drunk. And people died. That's what it was like back in the, when I was a kid. People were like, ah, this is the price you pay. <laughs> we live in a different world. Uh, so, you know, that's different because I, I can easily, especially let's see, let's see I'm an 18 year old and I'm away from home for the first time, and I've never really drank too much. There's all this peer pressure around me. And literally organized university events, you're going drink, 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 like literally, t-shirts, everything. Like it's bizarre. Skull spirit. Um, oh yeah, we all have a lot of spirit at that guy's funeral. So, spirit, he's dead. So what happens in that case is you self-administer, you, you, you don't have 
have to wear with all those people. They don't wear 18. They go down to most people don't. They're like, they want to look like a loser. It's really horrible. And that's one of the reasons that we don't have binge drinking as much on campus as during, or nothing official during fraudulent weeks. We used to. Holy Christ, we used to. I don't know about here, probably was here as well, but the drinking I did at Frosh Week at Western is, is and again, officially sanctioned. It was ridiculous. Yes? How do they find the LD50 and the therapeutic index? Because I'm assuming we're not joined the old friends. I hope not. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a study you don't want to see. You want to make sure you randomly assign them a group. You know, it's a good group. Uh, am I in the, can I please be in the control group? Uh, I don't want to die! So, in this case, what we're going to use is we would use, um, for LD50 is easy. You can do that just subjectively ask people. Uh, there is alcohol research for that kind of stuff. But the ED50 would be uh, through animal stuff and through uh, reports from coroners and stuff. Now, for new drugs, uh, it's done on rats, and you just keep giving them stuff till they die. Well, either that or people. What would you prefer? <laughs> like, what would you prefer? Or just, would we all just take our chances? I don't know. When I'm given a choice, kill a rat, kill a person. I'm going to step on a rat right now if it saves a person's life. I don't know. I'm wacky like that. You watch this go on the, on the internet. Hello, internet. I, just, I did just say that. Please do not protest at my house. I live, you can look me up, my name is Dwayne Keough. Uh, That's a comedian. That did. So, so the safer the drug is the one that has the higher therapeutic index. Now the thing is, most drugs that we're taking, um, there's, uh, there's choices we can make when we're drug taking, especially if it's something for a medical thing, not for having a good time. Um, so, if we look at the ED50 for two drugs that do the same thing, um, the one with the lower ED50 is more potent. So if we're comparing, well, what efficacy is about is about the maximum amount of effect the drug can have, right? So let's compare morphine and aspirin. So morphine and aspirin, morphine is Painkiller, and so is ASA. Aspirin is a painkiller. I should have aspirin. Should be capitalized there. It's a trade name. Um, morphine is more potent than aspirin. So if you go to hospital and you get surgery, they'll give you typically Tylenol at first, unless the pain's bad, and you'll go to little. Right. Uh, four years ago, uh, not the last time, but the second last time I taught this class, in just a week before the pandemic all broke. Um, I broke my leg, and so my teaching online started a week earlier, and then everybody else got to do it. I thought I was going to have a week, like six weeks, just lying in bed, going to work. And then all this is all I'm saying is I feel cheated by the pandemic. But when I went to the doctor, he said, "What are you doing for the pain?" Right, and I said, "I don't know, just Tylenol and weed oil." And he said, that, "That's good." And I asked him, "Do you ever give people opiates?" He goes, "Not for this, <laughs> not for a broken leg." Right. Now, if, you, if it's all kinds of breaks, probably. But, you know, I had three, three places. It wasn't horrible. I mean, I, I don't suggest doing it. My advice to you if you're planning on breaking a leg is pass. But usually we want, you know, we're going to want the, the for, for something simple, though, you might maybe go, again, see a or ASA or whatever. 
Now, here's some other key terms. The primary versus the main or main effects versus the side effects or secondary effects. Okay, the primary effects and secondary effects are the main and the side effects depend completely on your point of view. If you're taking morphine to deal with surgical pain, a side effect is that it feels like, to, to, to describe my mother's description of taking any painkiller, my mom won't take painkillers, my mom doesn't like being high. She's missing out on a whole world. Um, but I remember when she broke, actually, her ankle, and she said she was taking, she was taking opiates. Um, and she said she stopped taking it after one day. She said, I hate it. It feels like I'm flying. I said, Mom, that sounds awesome. What is wrong with you? You're getting free nothing. So you're taking that. The side effect is the high. However, if you're taking it to Groove to Quicksilver Messenger Service, and I don't care if you don't know who they are, they're a band right there, then the main effect is being high, and the secondary effect is, oh, my leg doesn't hurt. <laughs> it's completely based on point of view. Also, if you look at these guys, I think, if you, it's hard to tell, but I think they've done drugs. <laughs> like, that guy, and that guy are so hot. Just look at them. <laughs> they look like me at about 9.30 most nights. Okay. So what is the difference between efficacy and potency? Same thing. Same thing? Okay. Drugs can be agonists or antagonists. Um, so if we look at an opiate like, let's use morphine, use the classic. Uh, morphine is an opiate agonist. Excuse me, that means it binds to opiate receptors and then causes something. Now then there are antagonists. And that's where we get the word antagonize. Uh, an antagonist, in this case, naloxone is a great opiate antagonist. It's a pure opiate antagonist. It actually takes up, it outcompetes um, morphine for receptors. So it binds to receptors, but the cool thing it does, it doesn't open the ion channel. So it actually doesn't make, you don't get any high anymore. It just takes up the space where the opiates would have gone. It's an amazing drug. It saves lives. Like it saves lots of lives. It saves lots of lives. Uh, it's also great for, for some great research stuff you can do with naloxone too. Which I'll describe in just a moment. Where did I put my iPad over there? Uh, drugs can be additive or they can be super additive. So if we've got two drugs and they have roughly the same effect, and if you think about this, sometimes we do this with things like with, with painkillers. Sometimes we'll take acetaminophen and ibuprofen. Because you don't want to take too much of either of those because it's really bad for your liver. But if you take acetaminophen, you can take ibuprofen, right? By the way, I'm not giving a medical advice, so don't sue me if you die. But people do that, right? So they have, let's see, the, the amount of pain killing, and this is obviously made up in acetaminophen, we're going to say it's four units of painkiller. 
And then we're going to say in the ibuprofen that it's three units of painkilling. So now we have seven units of painkilling. Because if you took enough to get seven units of painkilling, uh, the acetaminophen maybe would be bad for you. It's called an additive effect. Most drugs aren't like that. <laughs> yeah, question? So, yeah. What? Does an antagonist uh, buy oh. and yes. therefore save lots of lives? Well, yeah, but the it saves lives because then people can't die from heroin. That's why. Like, it gets in the oh, way. Yeah. It gets in the way. But it doesn't have an effect. Um, now, super additive effects are much more common. So, and I think they're uh, sleeping pills and martinis. So, how about going with, uh, yeah, uh, diazepam, so we're going to go with uh, yeah, Valium and, 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 and vodka. Very bad combination. So what does an agonist do? An agonist, it has, it's the drug effect. It actually, it had, it's like uh, an opiate agonist would be something that makes an opiate work better or an opiate okay. itself. So now we get four units of being high from the martinis and we get four units of being high from the sleeping pills, and we get 26 units of being high together. And four and four doesn't equal 26 for those who scored now. Uh, also, these numbers are entirely made up. I just pulled these out of my ass, okay? So these don't know me anything, just to illustrate it. The point is, and I think you, should, you think you know this, when you get a prescription, I hope the first thing you do is read the label. See, when do I take these? When do I not take these? Do I ever, if I miss one, do I take two? That kind of thing? Because you could die. When I had my eye infection, geez, that, how long ago did that? It was a long time ago. Uh, I was taking these antivirals because it was a viral antivirals. There's another thing. If you ever a chance to have a viral eye infection, pass. <laughs> right? It's bad because uh, it stays with you forever. That's awesome. Uh, and also, you have a viral eye infection. And I had to give myself eye drops while lecturing. It was awesome. Good times. But um, I can think of times where I have a friend who had a bad back, and he took a Robaxa set, and he had one drink. And on the phone, he was talking to another friend of mine, and he was going, I just want to strive for have a drink. And he had some over-the-counter muscle relaxants. And my friend said to his other friend, you can't have any more of anything. You know, and he talked to the person's wife and said, you know, put this stuff away, sure, you know, and everything was fine, but you can die. Like, you have to be really careful combining drugs. Yeah, when I had that, the first thing I looked is, I looked at the pharmacist, so there's antiviral drugs I can drink, right? She said, yeah. I said, <laughs> but you want to be careful. So very often, super additive effects. Why are there super additive effects with alcohol and sleeping pills? Well, with alcohol and sleeping pills, they both use one of the same metabolic pathways. So if, what we have to do with drugs is break them down to get them out, to, you know, to pee them out and to sweat them out. So there are metabolic pathways that break these things down. And one of the there are two metabolic pathways for alcohol, and we'll learn all about them. Um, one of them is called the microsomal ethanol oxidizing system. Don't worry about it. It's the MEOS in the Worry about it when we talk about alcohol. Don't worry about it now. Guess what part, uh, guess what was also used in the metabolizing of barbiturates? Yeah, the MEOS. So it's the same thing. So it takes up space. It can't get broken down. Because of that, more stays around longer. 
Also, sometimes it's uh, enzyme induction, depression. Yeah. Okay, how do we get the drugs in our bodies? Well, if you're injecting, you need a vehicle. Uh, you can't just inject heroin in your arm. You need to put it inside. So, uh, saline would be the vehicle. Usually, saline or, of course, Kool-Aid is another approach. Obviously, that was a joke. Much of one. Um, so, if you're going to inject, the, the, the slowest rate of absorption here is subcutaneous. Just, that's just underneath your skin. We don't do that to ourselves because if we're trying to have fun, we want it quickly. I don't want a slow, steady stream of weed. I just want to get hot, right? I just want to get drunk. I don't want to go, no, there, are, there are times when I want to just sip. It doesn't really happen with weed. I love how in those weed shops they try to sell you one thing. So this got all kinds of really nice flavors. Oh, come on, don't give me that crap. Is it good? Am I gonna get really stoned? Excellent. Thank you. That's why I'm here. I can't, you know, it's like, oh yeah, this is oh yeah, I can taste it in this gummy. It's this is I think the year of this was 2022, just before the big frost. Like <laughs> it's like, I don't know. So that's pretty slow absorption. Uh intramuscular, an IM injection, so into your arm or your but usually your thigh, things like that. You have to go find a vein, so uh, that's pretty slow, but it's not super slow. This is a lot of times, uh, well, vaccines. We've we all had a series of vaccines in the last few years. Um, right in Europe, right, right in Europe, the part of Europe. But again, that's for a vaccine. Right? I'm not taking a vaccine, I'm trying to get stoned. <coughs> Well, we go uh, interperitoneal. Well, I can't really do that at home because that goes right into my gut. That's not, that's pretty fast. Fastest of those three so far. Uh, you don't usually inject right into the gut. That's not, first of all, getting through all that muscle with a needle is not incredibly easy to do. Might do with a rat, experiment. Oh, intravenous. Now you're starting to talk, right? track marks on my arm, so let's use this. I'm kidding! I haven't taken any heroin today. So, forever. I've watched people take heroin. They look like they're having a hell of a good time. Someone once described to me heroin as, it's like my whole body is having an orgasm for 45 minutes. And it's like, we should probably go get some. <laughs> that's great. You see why people take heroin. Um, so, that's though, you're looking for a bit of vein. You want to get in very quickly. So then inject, right? Intraventricular, well, that's one you're definitely not doing because that's going to the ventricles of your heart or the ventricles of your brain. Those are used in research. Those are done with rats and you know monkeys and such. So, depending on the drug, uh, and yeah, depending on the drug, some will get into the bloodstream uh, and eventually to the brain via diffusion, except obviously, intravenous because you injected it into the bloodstream. Uh, inhalation works roughly the same way. It just goes into your lungs and into your bloodstream. That's why inhaling, so smoking, uh, or huffing, like so huffing gasoline, or uh, I guess those are the two, uh, work very quickly because they go to your lungs, your lungs to your bloodstream, bloodstream to brain very quickly. Anybody here who smokes knows that if you have a cigarette craving, you can have one puff and it's like, oh, it's gone. 
again, the beauty of the hard, one of the hardest reasons it's so hard to quit smoking is that it's just easy to get rid of the withdrawal symptoms. Have a cigarette. It's trivially easy. And it works fast. It's not like it's some slow thing. You light up, take a whole lot of smoke, and it's like, oh yeah, now I'm in flavor country. Everything's great. <coughs> God, you know, I guess part of it too, but so it's fast. You can do it orally. Uh, this depends on how lipid soluble something is. The more lipid soluble, so the more something will dissolve in fat, um, the easier the absorption. So, for example, um, I like uh, THC oil. Like I like the, uh, THC suspended oil. That's great stuff. So I take that because I don't want to smoke anything. It's, I used to smoke cigarettes. And I just ugh, gross. I also because I had so much practice smoking cigarettes. I smoke joints. Like I smoke, used to smoke cigarettes. You're not supposed to do that. It's a lot. That's a mistake. By the way, you don't hold it in. That whole hold it in thing is a crock of shit. You don't have to do that. Suck it in. Just you can inhale, blow out. You don't have to go. <laughs> that thing. No, don't do that. You look like a noob. Don't do that. Um, just smoke it like a cigarette. But I would like suck it like a cigarette. Not a good thing. But yeah, so lipid soluble. Uh, as long as so that's suspended in, in, in oil, right? That's going to be good. Um, so it depends. Some drugs that they're very lipid soluble are, are have trouble getting past what's called the blood-brain barrier. Uh, ionized molecules aren't absorbed. Uh, and finally, if you uh, the rate of absorption there is constant once it gets there. Once it gets towards the, uh, from the bloodstream to the brain. The rest of it isn't constant, but that part. Okay. So yeah, it's absorbed, blood-brain barrier, and it goes across that membrane through either active or passive transport. Passive transport is, a, is osmosis, right? Active transport tends to involve a, uh, some transporter protein usually that comes along, grabs the thing, and pulls it through. Yeah. Sometimes it's protein binding that'll slow some of it down. Um, this really depends on all the drugs, whatever the drug is. And then, of course, it's taken to the bloodstream, the, uh, the uh, kidneys, and the liver. And we measure the persistence of a drug, uh, its excretion, et cetera. We measure this in half-life. The same way you measure uh, you know, radioactive half-life. Right? So, it's, it's, it's so the, the half-life of caffeine in a caffeine user, like I'm sure most of us are. Anybody here doesn't use any caffeine? Is there anybody? Do I see anybody? Yeah, that's, that's, there's, there's caffeine in coffee, in chocolate. Yeah. There's caffeine in chocolate. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you should be careful. So everybody knows, like, it's funny. Well, this is the one I always get. People go, oh, well, drink coffee. I never eat a chocolate bar. Yeah. So yeah, there is, some, there is caffeine in chocolate, that's for sure. Uh, most of us are pretty expert caffeine users. We use a lot of it. So more than a couple of day, I'd say, to do that. At that point, your half-life caffeine is only about 
30 minutes if you're a somewhat heavy eater. So if you drink like four or five cups of coffee a day, you're probably about a 30 minute half. So after an hour, let's say you've had a cup of coffee, that's 100 milligrams of magnesium. Even easier if I made it 128, but I'm going to make it 100. Uh, average cup of coffee is about 100. One of those big Tim Hortons ones, uh, it's going to be about 175 probably. Uh, a can of Coke is about 65. That hot chocolate is probably about 65 or 70. So there's, there's a decent amount of So after an hour, sorry, after half an hour, that means I got 50 left in these stuff. 50. And then after another half an hour, because the half life is pretty uh, I've got 25 milligrams. Another half an hour, I get 12 and a half. Another half an hour, I get six and a quarter. Another half an hour, I get three and an eighth. And then I've got uh, 16, one in seven, one in nine sixteenths milligrams. Okay, I can do the fraction easier. That's actually kind of old. So yeah, uh, that's how that works. There's one drug that doesn't work with a half-life. One drug that's a constant excretion and absorption. And it's alcohol. And again, we Alcohol's weird. <laughs> it's just weird. It's a weird drug. But everything else we do this way, and it's with half-life. The game. Uh, what affects metabolism? Uh, age. So male-female differences. A lot of the male-female differences are based on very simple things, because uh, like amount of fat. On average, males have more uh, less fat than females, than humans. Makes a difference. There's also hormonal differences, right? A species, this is a good one. So you know with the caffeine and the adult humans who are pretty experienced, like say four or five cup of coffee, a day people might be as low as half an hour, maybe as high as three hours, depending on the person. Um, that's with adult humans. You give your dog caffeine, don't give your dog caffeine. You know what the half-life of caffeine is in a, in a, in a non-human mammal? On average, it's about three and a half days. Same, same thing with a little toddler, anybody under about four or five. Don't give little kids caffeine. And that's very difficult not to give little kids chocolate. Don't give them lots of chocolate. Are going to bring up like Halloween? Yeah, well, little, little. But it's funny when people always say, oh, they're so, they're just full of sugar. No, they're not. It's got nothing to do with the sugar, buddy. <laughs> it's the caffeine they're ingesting from the shitty chocolate bars they're eating. Um, but yeah, uh, so little kids should be drinking Cokes. One of the things we see a lot in Newfoundland, because it's an entirely different world. Please set your watches back 30 years, we're about to land. Um, is seeing people giving like kids in strollers bottles with Pepsi in. Which is weird, but you wonder where Keo gets it from. Like <laughs> one of my colleagues, Dwayne, is from Newfoundland. And I'm making fun of him because he's a Newfie. My friend, it's a joke, it's all in fun. I think you know he's new if you just look at he talks. Lord, sweet, honor of Jesus, my son. Where people that he knew would talk like that, that's not what Dwayne talks about. Point is, I would see people and I would walk by them thinking, boy, you're going to have a hell of a couple of days, buddy. Because you're pushing a baby carriage and the kid's got a thing of Coke. 
That's a mistake. Don't do that. But yeah, so caffeine, uh, so age, species, a big difference. But even age and, that's age and species, right? Because let's say other animals and also young kids, young people. Enzyme induction and depression. So sometimes a drug will, well very often a drug, when you take the drug, your body has a reaction up, I will produce certain enzymes to break this drug down. I will, or I will not produce certain other enzymes. But the weird thing that can happen here is like, hmm, I'm gonna think about, see if I remember this properly. Your absorption of caffeine is two times faster if you eat broccoli because of some enzyme induction. I think I'm remembering that properly. It may be that I'm not. There's, another, there's also one about caffeine and uh, progesterone. So people, women taking birth control pills uh, have caffeine affects them more than it doesn't when they're not on birth control. Or when they're pregnant. By the way, pretty safe when you're pregnant. But it will affect, it'll, the fetus will get the caffeine. My wife used to talk about how if she had a couple of cups of coffee and then she'd just feel, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's cool until it happens, I think. <laughs> until you're trying to sleep and you're going, caffeine's out of me, it's not out of you yet, eh? We put absorption and, and, and excretion together because they're just two curves. We get an absorption curve and an excretion curve. If we just take one and subtract the other, we get uh, the time course of the drug. Let's look at that. Whoops, oh, that was supposed to zoom in on that. Sorry about that. There we are. Keep going. Yeah. No. Oh, it doesn't want to zoom in. Sorry about that. It was supposed to zoom in on that graph. So, what, whoa, what the heck just happened there? Someone could have said something. Okay, you're gonna come back? Or am I gonna have to yell? I don't think we are gonna come back. It doesn't look. Oh, I see. What do we do? Okay, uh, it's gonna work now. There we go. Oh, yay! It's just come back right now. Very good. There we go. It's horrible because if, as long as I don't look at anything over there or touch it, but I mean, it's to the point where I can't even look at the podium, it changes something. Oh, Schrodinger's cat thing. So anyway, I was gonna. I thought. I thought the slide zoomed in there. It doesn't. So what you can see. Let's. I can zoom in. Look at it. So we end up with the time course of the drug, and that's this curve right here. Okay. Take one, subtract the other. Now, what do we want if we're taking a drug for fun? We want this fast, right? You want it to hit quickly, and you want it to stay around. I paid money for this weed. I hope I don't want to lose my money. You know, waste my money. Now, on the other hand, what do I want if I'm taking something therapeutic, like I'm taking a drug for to deal with pain, post-surgical pain? I don't want a quick spike. I just want it to be like this all the time, nice and hot. And it, I mean, it's eventually going to go, what not this? It's eventually going to drop off. But I, I want that to take a long time. I want to take a long time. So, oh, sorry, yes, Liz. Yeah, we have a question about the breath. Yes. So, 
there's less to excrete. There's not a cost amount of the drug just being fired into it. You take it and it gets absorbed into it. I get it. Yeah, 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 no, I know. It's, it's, it's one of those things like, oh, of course, yeah. Believe I, I had the same question the first time I saw it on one of these graphs. Yes, John. So, um, so do um, absorption and uh, excretion merge together by getting the curve? From well, the yeah, yeah the, you, the what we do to get the absorption, uh, sorry, to get the uh, therapeutic um, in the, uh, to get the, to get that curve, we take one and we subtract the other. So we take the absorption curve and we subtract the other curve. Sure. And if you take a look at those two curves, high minus low isn't much, and then you can see that it actually makes that other curve. Yep. So if the drug has a long time course, it's easy to maintain an amount in the system. So this is why we take into account things like what's the root of administration? If you're doing something therapeutic, maybe you want to go with orally, go with a pill, right? Because it takes a long time, it's going to be broken down in your gut. On the other hand, if you want something quickly, you might want to just take something to go intravenously, right? Please. So, I know some people like their like medications and stuff. It says not to hold it in your mouth. Oh, yeah. Why is that? I don't know. Uh, probably because it's set up that it's supposed to be broken down in your gut. Okay. And when you put it in your mouth, because there are you know you you can absorb things in your bloodstream through your underneath the tongue. I was gonna ask you something more like. Yeah. Faster than. Oh, it's not faster. It's it's quick though because it goes to your bloodstream. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you would, when you're given instructions on how to take a drug for something therapeutic, you should follow them because the, the dose and all that other stuff is worked out in advance to make that work. Also, you should pay attention when it says if you miss a dose, take two. If it doesn't say that, you don't do that. I just know that I, I once had someone almost, well, give themselves lithium poisoning from that. So, yeah, class. so what about the uh, behavior part of this? because we're probably drugs, and of course, behavior. So the dose is the independent variable, the thing we control, and the response is the dependent variable. So you'll need a control group of some sort, typically. Um, there's a couple kinds of ways you can approach this. There's, I just want to say this stuff because uh, not all of you have taken a stats or a methods class, so. You might do it with, between subjects. So you got one group that's given, maybe like in that little quiz there, one group's given zero drinks, one group two drinks, one group four drinks. That is between subjects. Within subjects would be zero drinks, I test your memory, two drinks, I test your memory again, four drinks, I test your memory again. We typically don't do that. We typically do between subjects type designs in um, pharmacology research, but you'll see within sometimes. You do statistical tests, blah, blah, blah. The, there's one thing that's really important here are placebo controls. So uh, you'll find that when you're reading papers for your final project, um, you'll find that sometimes you go, well, why are there like nine control groups? Because you need them all. So if we're doing a simple experiment with rats and we're going to do 
let's just do it. It's a rat morphine experiment. We're going to have one group morphine, one group no morphine. What do we need for control groups? So what do we need for control groups? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you said. You said I heard, heard drugs. So like that. Say again. Yeah, rats with no drugs. That's one group. What else do we need? That's right. one control group. We give them We give them something, yes. But they don't know whether it's... No, they don't know. They're rats. They don't know anything. They're <laughs> in their own cages. They don't know anything. But we do that. So some of them we're going to inject, because we're going to inject this stuff, okay? So we're going to inject just, just vehicle, just saline. That's true. What else though? I can think of at least three more control groups. You're both right, by the way. Good job, both of you. What's another control group mean? You morphine and placebo together. Morphine and placebo together? Well, placebo is the saline, so it's the vehicle. So that the placebo is morphine and placebo is already the morphine. So yes, we need the morphine group, the rangers. What other control groups do we need? Would it be different doses? No, just the, the, we're doing dose of Dose, no dose. Control groups, what are the groups? Maybe um, that control group would be like two different genders. Rats uh, don't have genders, they have sex. Um, so that's what just, this is, this is a thing, I swear, everybody should know that. Gender's a great word, don't use it with no Okay. Yeah, no, seriously, it's a thing. Uh, the friend of mine, Lisa Galea, who's a prophet at BBC, drives her insane. In fact, I'm literally saying for this. <laughs> Rats don't have genders. They don't have gender roles. Yeah, you're right though. Maybe. But let's say we're just going to stick with the female ones. So we're not going to worry John, you have an idea for, for a control group. Yes. Um, uh, Rats are genderless. Am I right? Yes. Not genderless. Well, they're genderless. They're, they're, they have sexes. But I need groups, guys. Groups. Please. Would you have one that just, like, just to measure behavior without any sort of well, we have, we, we have no drug rats up here, so that's yeah. good. That's, that's the same group. You're missing something. You're missing something. Would you have some that uh, drain? Like, it depends what mechanism. Okay, we're, we're just going to shoot them up with, with morphine. Injected morphine or no ejected morphine. We're just a drug with similar effects that might not be. No. No, no let's not do that. You're, look, you're, gonna, like, you're, you're on the science or on to something. What? Now, she said placebo which is good because that means you have to inject them with saline. We also want to have a sham injection group. This is a group that we show them the needle, we pick them up, we go like we're going to inject them, we go to inject them. That's a sham injection. Because maybe the fear, because rats, they may be stupid, but they get afraid. Think about something that weighs, you know, I don't know, 10,000 times your size, just picks you up, goes like that, got a needle for you, that might scare you a bit. Maybe the fear had an effect. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to give you a sham injection. we got another group. We're going to pick them up and show them the needle and not even do that. We'll give another group, pick them up, show them the needle, put the needle in them, not inject them. It's bizarre how many control. You know what, though? You need them. Because when you do that, you find out, in fact, that, oh, rats are frightened of needles, like things like that. It's crazy. So you need lots of control groups. So here's a, here's a great example about the importance of control groups. This is a classic experiment from, geez, 1977. I was 12. 
And I remember when I read it when I was 12. Of course, I didn't. I didn't read it when I was 12. But in this experiment, they had two groups. One group is given a real analgesic, and the other group is given um, a sham analgesic. Okay. Like a placebo. And they both reported analgesia. So analgesia, painkiller. How was this? How was the painkilling testing this experiment using? Uh, I think the cold presser task. The cold presser task is you take a bucket, you fill it with ice, and you say, "Put your hand in there until it hurts." Take it out when it hurts. That's one. Another one. I think that's the use this experiment. Another great one is the uh, is a dolorimeter, which is just a thing you put on your forearm and it pushes down and it measures pressure. And as soon as it hurts, you say it hurts, and you stop and you get an actual measure of pressure. So then you give them naloxone, and you have a return of pain in the, in the group um, that had, I shouldn't say in the analgesia, it should say in the, uh, oh, analgesia group, in the analgesic group, I should say. So the group that actually was given a real analgesic got pain when they were given naloxone. The group that was actually given a placebo would give them the they still said, no, it doesn't, still, it doesn't hurt. Because the mechanism for the placebo is different from the mechanism for the uh, analgesic. They followed this up in 1978 with a classic paper on dental pain. I grabbed this this morning. It's not a very important paper. It's only been cited 1,638 times. <laughs> That's literally more citations than I have in my career. And I think this one was on, oh, I've seen another classic uh, by the same group. They did one on um, people given, uh, when they were gonna have a baby, oh, what do you call that? Uh, oh, like breathing exercises, you know, the Lamaze exercises. And when they, and they had to do the breathing exercises, do the cold presser task, and it actually does kill pain, which is pretty amazing. And then they had, a, had one, they gave the people naloxone, and it actually, the pain return, telling you that breathing exercises done through natural childbirth actually release opiates. You're giving yourself your own epidural. The best breathing, my wife said to me after she had the first kid, she said the best breathing exercise of all of them she learned is you breathe in deeply. And you look at the doctor and you say, can I have an epidural? And then everything's fine. Went through all that stuff. <laughs> So correlation, or as I've called it there, co-relational, I think autocorrected something here. Correlational research is also important because even though correlation is not causation, we can't do a lot of these experiments on people. We know cigarettes cause cancer. They're dangerous, deadly, horrible. They're one of the few legal things that when you take them as directed, they will kill you. Anyway. I spent so much money on cigarettes in my life. Anyway, it's just wild. You know why? Because they're awesome. And you look grown up and cool, and it's rebellious. But we know cigarettes cause cancer, but we also have divided people into two groups when they were born and said, okay, these kids get smokes. <laughs> That's unethical, illegal, immoral. And 
I don't know if you get it published. The most important thing is that things get it published. Um, so correlations and causations, you have to keep that in mind. Because, and people will say this, that this is people who have learned this phrase and go, well, then why am I going to say that? It's not about tensor, it's correlation, it's causation. They talk like that. I don't know what that accent that guy is, but he's the guy who plays that. And that's you say to that guy, then why does it cause cancer in all kinds of other animals? And also then look at all these data that are correlational about people. But we can't do stuff with people. Like we can't ethically do that. So we do stuff like when people have lung cancer, we say, you're smoking? They go, yeah, three packs a day for 30 years. <laughs> the worst about that is always, there's always this guy. You know, my aunt smoked three packs a day. I uh, also drank a quart of whiskey every 20 minutes. And she'd kill a guy and then go do ultimate fighting. And she lived to be 104. Right? <laughs> so? Your aunt's awesome. I want to hang out with her. But, dude, still. It's funny because I, I quite like old television in the 60s and 70s. And when I look up actors on IMDb when I'm watching something, it's like, you see either people, oh, good, yeah, it's what? Must be 88, must be 93, must be 86. They go, oh, died at 45 of lung cancer. Oh, died at 38 of lung cancer. 55 heart attack. Oh, they all smoke. <laughs> Always the case. But you got to be careful with that. Just because two things happen together doesn't mean one causes the other. Um, but again, like I said here, science isn't done in a vacuum, except for sci the science of vacuums. Always done in a vacuum. But. Uh, I'm having much more fun than you guys are, and I yeah. don't care. Because <laughs> I'm here to make myself happy. Uh, but yeah, so if we have all these other data, the correlation actually fits in. Um, unstructured observation doesn't help you much, but where it will help, which is just watching stuff happen, but structured observation can be great because we can look at drug cultures. One of the cool things about drugs, <laughs> it's one of those things that I, that's, I guess I just said that. Rephrasing uh, is that a lot of drugs have really cool cultural things around them. Alcohol has a whole bunch of rituals. Weed has all kinds of rituals. And we can observe stuff and find out what's happening. But just walking around saying, I'm doing research, because you're walking around watching people that are crazy taking fentanyl, that's not research, that's just weirdness. It's like poverty porn. Don't do that. It's weird. Now, systematic introspection. We in psychology, it's one of the things that we hate is introspection. Oh, uh, not as a thing. Like, it's just like, don't think about yourself. What we mean is, we don't like you using your own thinking about your own thinking as a source of data, because it can't be. Right? But we can do sort of systematic introspection. And a good example of this is the McGill Payne question. There's the McGill Payne questionnaire. It's kind of hard to see because it's because because somebody screwed with it. <coughs> but this is still used to this day for chronic pain patients, and you can see what we're doing here is we're trying to find out descriptions of the pain: tingling, itchy, smarting, stinging, dull, sore, hurting, aching, heavy, pinching, pressing, gnawing, cramping, crushing. If you have these symptoms, please contact your doctor. <laughs> and then you fill it on this thing, and it's actually very useful, very reliable, and valid questionnaire. So, and that's totally self-important, and it's all people introspecting about themselves, but it's controlled. 
Almost there. Good. All right. Well, you know what, though? I think we should probably pack it in, right? Yeah, we should. Yeah, well, I know what you're going to say. All right. So on that note, we got a couple slides left for this. We'll do the next stuff on Tuesday. And thanks, everybody. See you next time. So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved. So you can redistribute this all you want. But if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. And that was called PodSafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to uh, put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music, because... Um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time.